start the week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Tim Burrows. And I'm Damien Francis. Let's start the week. Today, another social media crackdown. The Oz launches a daily podcast. And another executive departure at nine. Unmade. So, Damo, I I feel we're in very different states at the moment. Um, we're la, la, last week when we chatted, you different were countries too. Yeah, different different states, different countries, and I I meant sort of metaphysical states, really. <laughs> but um, in that your la, last week when we spoke, you were in COVID lockdown, mm. stuck indoors. Uh, I'm back in the UK, and I I think to really emphasise it, a week on you're still in COVID lockdown, and um, we were both watching the Formula One Grand Prix this morning. Um, I was watching it in a pub, multi-screening with the uh, Southampton versus Man City FA Cup game also on, um, and you were getting up at the crack of dawn to watch it. That's it. It's a spoiler alert in case someone hasn't watched it and intends to and is listening to this podcast first. There will be spoilers. Oh, that was very thoughtful of you. Yes, yes. Stop listening now. I, I aim to please. Um, yes, I am still in COVID lockdown. Uh, the the benefit. Let's go into the positives. I won't dwell on the negatives, but I can't drive anywhere. And at the moment, uh, petrol prices in Sydney are at two dollars twenty. So I'm saving a lot of money right now, which is good. Did wake up very early to see the Formula One. What a cracker of a race that was in the last ten laps. I feel like we've pulled out the uh, Abu Dhabi repeat of let's just put all the action in the final 10 minutes and go from there. But that was a, an absolute cracker of a race. Uh, if you haven't watched and intend to, please do. And uh, Tim, uh, spoiler alert on FA Cup as well for those intending to watch uh, some of the matches, but uh, commiserations to you. Yeah, no, Southampton, in the end, we, um, we weren't that surprised to lose. There was... I suppose for the fur, you know, pretty much the length of the game was about the, the 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 same length of the Grand Prix, and both were on at once. So for the first half, uh, I was probably watching slightly more football, but then by the end, you know, once you had cars on fire and Ferraris mm. having their first wins and all of that sort of thing, I I was watching less and less football as um as yes, yeah, so as Southampton kind of fell fell to their their defeat so i must admit though my one thing before we get on with it and i know this is mm. perhaps an in politically incorrect thing to say i absolutely don't want any drivers to get hurt i really don't but mm. it's a bit more fun if there's a bit of a crash or a prang and that was the one thing that didn't really happen this time when they walk away fine and healthy which is what the cars are meant to do in the case of crash then it's it's all fun and games isn't it it, it does make it far more dramatic at least we got a fire. We got a fire at the end with uh, Pierre Gasly in the Alpha Tauri that uh, went up in smoke, and he got out fine. As Martin Brundle said, in the exact same spot that uh, Roman Grosjean went out in a ball of flames, where he did actually get um, mildly injured that time. But uh, there was enough uh, excitement to wake me up. We're, we're we're nerding out a bit too much on F1 now. I think we have to wind it up. We're nerding out a bit too much. Let's move on, shall we? <laughs> yeah, let's move on. And just to cheer you up from the fact that you're stuck indoors and I at least got to go to the pub, I did have the worst nachos of my life. But that is another story. So let's get into it. We're going to start with an executive move uh, this week. Tim Nine has lost another big week. Yeah, so this is uh, Lizzie Young, 
moving on. So she she's been with Nine a fair time, a little bit over a decade. So um, yeah, she she joined Nine about eleven and a half years ago. Um, most recently, and Lizzie Young's had some quite long titles in her time: uh, managing director of local markets and group marketing. So she was one of that team of executives who was kind of I, I, I suppose brought through by um, certainly you know brought on by Hugh Marks as the the, the the former CEO there was this sort of group who all sort of carved out their own spaces and because the company is so big they were able to and it, it you know it felt like there were a bunch of people that he was able to just sort of trust to run their bit um, and in Lizzie Young's case that was for part of the time was prosecuting the case against Facebook and uh, against Google, which she she did very well and very effectively in public forums and and elsewhere. Um, but yeah, she's off to We Are Eight, which is reported in a few of the, uh, the, the the papers today, including the Australian Financial Review, and then um, fellow Nine Papers, The Age, and the Sydney Morning Herald as well. So. Um, it is it is as you say another executive and a few a few have moved on recently yeah and there's probably two big questions that come out of that let's go on to the first one which would be what is we are eight uh, and why would this be enough to convince uh, lizzie to jump ship from a, a very senior role at, at nine look and that i suppose is the big question when you look at you know, the people who have moved, they have moved, moved actually with, with, with one exception, when Chris Jans, who headed up the publishing division, when he left, he didn't have a big job to go to, but some of the others have. So um, Nick Young, as it happens, Lizzie Young's partner, uh, left recently to go to Nova. Uh, Paul Brooks um, has left to go to Cartology. Um, maybe a, a, a tier or two down on the ladder, uh, Nick Christensen left to uh, do corporate comms over at SBS. But um the yeah the, the the question about we are eight is is Lizzie Young leaving nine or going to something new a new opportunity I I think in fairness it is quite a big opportunity so I think you know you can see why she'd be tempted it looks like she's going to be the um the the the, the, the local face of uh, we are eight in Australia which I must admit I was unfamiliar with them until this story today so effectively it's is a it's a startup in the advertising space where people who effectively watch ads are rewarded for doing so, um, which isn't isn't completely new. Others as, others have tried it, particularly on sort of mobile, etc. Um, what's interesting about this one is that amongst the uh, investment so far is Channel Four, which is um, one of the big commercial players. Uh, in the UK, although it's actually publicly owned, so although it it, it runs commercials, it's it, it is kind of owned by the British public. Um, but it has a venture arm, which is what's funded it. Um, and the other interesting thing about it is the founder, um, an Australian, Sue Fennessy, who also founded Standard Media Index or co-founded it with uh, Jane Ratcliffe. So um, somebody who knows this market well, despite being based in the Northern Hemisphere. So I think uh, that's going to be quite interesting, the, the fact that they've made this higher. And of course, if you haven't heard of it either, it's largely because it hasn't launched in Australia yet and, and will do in, in Q2 of uh, this year in the UK first. 
and then coming into Australia. But uh, Tim, do you think uh, do you think it'll have a big impact in, in the market at all? These things usually take a bit of time to roll up, don't they? They do. And one thing to remember, I mean, this is this this has had a fair few rounds of funding, so this isn't um, this isn't Rio Ferdinand as well, right? Yeah, Rio Ferdinand is one of the names attached to it. And of course, you you do realise with a lot of these startups, they they sometimes they even just give someone famous, you know, a, a bit of a stake just so that there are some impressive names attached. So we don't know how much he's put in. Uh, the, the, the the footballer Rio Ferdinand that is. Um, one of the things that interests me about it though is you can see the logic of Channel Four because. Uh, in in the UK because it will need uh, some exposure, which obviously it can then get that sort of through Contra or whatever from Channel 4, which makes me think there's probably a deal to be done here in Australia. Now, who that would be with, hey, if you to speculate, you know, I imagine that Lizzie Young will, 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 will leave nine on very good terms. So they would be one interesting conversation. And then you could look at Seven West Media, who have invested in a number of ventures, had some good exits, including from Airtasker not that long ago. Um, they were quite active when Clive Dickens was there, although he's since moved on. So that'd be somebody else to think about. And then, of course, Clive Dickens is now at Optus. Uh, so they might be an interesting conversation as well. But it it does feel like maybe they will be looking for a local media partner. So that will be one to watch. Coming up next, more social media politics. Unmade. So this one is in a few of the papers. So it does look a bit like an organised government drop as they try to get back the PR agenda after having lost the election in South Australia over the weekend. Uh, Damo, Paul Fletcher, the communications minister, is going after the digital giants again. He is again. Nothing new there. It seems like they've been in the crosshairs for a number of months slash years, really, Tim, but... The Morrison government is going to try and combat misinformation published online. Uh, There was a report that found that four out of five Australian adults had apparently seen incorrect information about COVID-19, and this is one of the things that has spurred it on. But uh, Fletcher is going to announce uh, today uh, plans to give ACMA, the Australian Communications and Media Authority, new powers uh, to hold tech companies to account. Uh, about harmful content or uh, information that's incorrect that they publish on their platforms. Uh, Now, a report is going to be released on disinformation as well and and the gathering processes uh, and news gathering processes that the platforms use. Uh, The report is is said to be significant, says Paul Fletcher anyway. Uh, So we'll see what that actually entails when it's released. But the uh, ACMA is going to get a, a range of new powers and there's been recommendations a, a, as well that will help it uh, use these powers and guide the social media platforms in terms of how they should be presenting information, what they should be presenting and essentially giving, uh, I guess, giving them the responsibility to host uh, information that is uh, correct uh, as far as it can be and uh, in the public's best interest. We've already kind of seen uh, a bit of this play out in terms of uh, the government cracking down on Russian state media uh, and how social platforms, and you know who we're talking about, it's Google, it's Facebook, it's, it's Twitter uh, et al., uh, and how they 
communicate those sort of uh, bits of information from, uh, I guess, what you would call questionable uh, sources. It's not the first time we've seen this, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, but realistically, Tim, it does seem like uh, there is definitely a target on the back uh, across a range of different areas of these social platforms, whether it's the, the digital advertising services inquiry, whether it's the news media bargaining code, but misinformation has been a, a particularly heavily talked about uh, uh, scenario here as, as well. And I, I guess it plays to it towards mental health as well, which is obviously a, a massive issue in, in politics at, at the moment, as we've all seen. But Tim, do you do you really think this will go some way to to fighting online misinformation? Because I've got to admit that I I have a few small doubts, uh, and I'd like to see a bit more information that comes out today. Do you know if I was tweeting a summary of everything you just said, I think I would use that lazy tweet of "huge if true." Mm. Um, your last point, I think, is the most important one: politics. You know, this is a government which is a matter of days or maybe a couple of weeks from calling an election. So this is policy that they'll never get to legislate, probably. Mm -hmm. Certainly won't legislate in this government, um, which seems to be the habit of communications ministers. It was the same under Stephen Conroy, under Labour. They don't do very much in the way of legislation. And then just when they're running out of time, they start talking about it. So I'm I'm pretty cynical about this one. Um, as I say, a couple of them were kind of drops, um, you know, so it's, it's it's a PR thing. Yet the detail is so vague, you really can't tell exactly what the plan is. Um, and we were talking about this also, just before, weren't we, that, that neither one of us could really figure out some of the, the key details that would... It's not, no, it's not there in the news mm. stories today, and it is in a few of the things. And I think the other thing is, um, I'm a little... I don't want to be too down on the ACMA, the Australian... Um, communications and media authority because one of their problems when they get accused of being a bit of a toothless watchdog is not having enough powers so if they are talking about beefing them up um then hey that could be interesting but it always strikes me that they don't really want powers they want this they they prefer the sort of co-regulatory thing where they they get to sort of nod things through without being particularly aggressive. Whereas the ACCC, the um, Australian uh, Competition and Consumer Commission, are a little more aggressive, a little more vigorous. They the the ones who drove the news media bargaining code. So it's interesting they're talking about the ACMA for this one. Maybe that's the appropriate place for it, but. The ACMA waking from its slumber and uh, doing something tough? Uh, I don't think so. Next, the Aussies podcast push. Unmade. The Australian has this morning launched a new podcast. Tim, you've just listened to the first episode of The Front. What did you think? Look, there is a certain irony to being on a podcast reacting to the day's news, <laughs> talking about a new podcast reacting to the day's news, uh, particularly as the argument could be made that there there are a lot of podcasts out there these days. Um, I think it's interesting, though. So the, the idea is that the Australian will tap into its daily reporting, you know, the news stories which are on, uh, on the front page, hence the title, The Front. Um, so 
it makes sense possibly slightly late to the fray listening to the first one it's reasonably well produced um it probably i imagine it was recorded yesterday at some point actually there's a there's a degree of production to it and none of the stories are sort of absolutely ripped out of the headlines late last night you know they're they're talking about things like uh ukraine they're talking about the south australia election um what i like about it is um is funded by Claire Harvey, who's the Australian's editorial director. Um, she's a talent. I mean, I, I remember when she used to have a column in the Sunday Telegraph, um, a fellow news court paper, and it was really good. It was actually quite, it, it, it tended to be at the centre of things. It tended to make some quite sensible and interesting points. Um, and I, my my early sense is that's the where we're going from this. So this is, this is not, certainly on my first impression, this is not an audio version of sky news or sky news after dark this is talking about the news so you know one of the conversations in this morning's edition was with uh, david pemberthy um again a long-serving news corp journalist now in south australia former editor of the daily telegraph and one of the the, the bosses of news.com.au earlier on um so this this feels like it will add a bit of uh, a bit of gravitas sounds a bit like the the similar thing that the guardian does but that's you know you know the, it's, it's quite hard to invent a completely new format so um yeah it makes sense um what kept you let me um quiz you on how they've promoted it and the reality of it, just to see whether whether the talk is true. But they're talking about a, a behind-the-scenes look at uh, at the news, interviewing the journalists, discussing the stories uh, or the parts of the stories that they couldn't potentially get into the story that was published. A bit of the, you know, come and join us in the newsroom, if you will. Um, is that how it played out for you? Did you did you think that they nailed that? Not not for the first one. No, not for the first one. It, it felt like they haven't really leaned into that yet, and and that's understandable because you 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 find your feet, and because it's it it it's so polished, it it does feel like journalists still with their analysis hat on. So, for instance, probably the person who so far shows the least of of, of their personality as the host is Claire Harvey, actually. So I, I would very much hope that um, as she relaxes into it, there is a little bit more personality. Um, pretty solid for the first listen, but I don't think you began to get a flavour of the people behind the microphones just yet. Coming up next, the ABC's Twitter problem. Unmade. The ABC still hasn't got its staff tweets under control. Data obtained by Nine's newspapers suggests. Tim, what have they found? Yeah, look, a bit of caution I would usually find when talking about ABC people tweeting is usually this tends to be the ABC's traditional biggest rivals using it as a bit of a beat up. So it's something that you read about quite often in the, in the news court papers. Um, this time around though, it is some data that the sitting morning held on the age of got Zoe Samios is the journalist. Um, and she's reported that um, there've been several internal investigations where ABC staff are suspected to have broken the rules on 
how they're supposed to behave on social media because of course the idea being the public broadcaster you're supposed to show due impartiality and um, there have been four instances where the ABC having investigated has then disciplined staff for their conduct on social media now the report doesn't say what they did um, but or, 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 or what the actual disciplinary treatment was I'm not surprised, you know, I still see ABC journos expressing views. Um, And it's, hey, look, it's a bit unfair when all of us can express views. Why can't they? But I think there is something special about being from the ABC or come to that SBS as well. But a publicly funded broadcaster, which should be seen as being neutral, where you do have higher demand to sometimes sit on your hands and not tell the world what you think, because then when you report on it or when you talk on it, you appear to come from a particular position. So I I think it's still a real problem for the ABC because I see it going on. Um, I don't think they've got any choice but to keep trying to address it because it's something they, they keep being beaten up on in Senate estimates um, because, you know, it, 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 it is an issue. Uh, it's a beat up, but there's also a bit of truth behind it as well. Now, that story, some of the ABC staffers they were mentioning in that story weren't necessarily people you would uh, think of immediately when you you thought about journalism, uh, particularly comedian Julia Zamiro, uh, but also Louise Milligan, Alan Collar. But the number of uh, cases there was said to be 16, and and of those 16 matters, 25% required disciplinary action uh, or counselling. Now, I'm reminded, uh, and this story also says it as well, but what Gavin Morris said when he departed uh, the ABC or slightly after he departed uh, the ABC. uh, He was the head of news and editorial. Exactly. Um, In in that he didn't recommend any ABC journalists be on social media and didn't want them to be on social media, but if they wanted to, uh, as their own thing, well, that was completely up to them. It, as you sort of said before, though, it it seems very hard to have that happen in this day and age, where journalists one of the first things they do is jump on to social media. But perhaps Tim, there's a a perspective there where the story and the opinion has to be separated and and that's the hard bit promoting a story is something but promoting an opinion is something different and if you're an abc news journalist uh there's there's perhaps a line in the sand there but what happens here what should the abc be be doing is is there more education that needs to happen on the matter more training something like that or just a blanket ban on abc journos on social media look i think some of the problem is and I say this as a journalist, journalists have really big egos and they think that the world wants to know what they think about everything. Um, Now, one of the things about just having a blanket saying is don't be on social media is it's a really good amplification tool and it's a really good information tool. But I think about the journalists who I really respect and trust with who are from the ABC. I'm not going there for their opinions. Um, you know, I think of, hey, I'll give a national example and a local um, example. Um, 
Casey Briggs, uh, the curve, um, the, the, the data guy for the ABC, his tweets were absolutely essential for understanding what was going on in the day-to-day with the uh, latest information being released each day about where we were with COVID, whether it was where we were with vaccinations or new cases or hospitalizations or death. It was really useful stuff. And you just knew that he would probably have it up first. It was reliable. Similarly, a local example, you know, as you know, when I'm not in the UK, I'm usually based in Tasmania. The ABC has a journalist there called Monty, I think it's pronounced Beauville, but I've only ever seen it on social media. If something's going on in Tasmania and I'm wondering what the latest is, I will go to him on Twitter and he has probably posted about it, posted a link to it or just the information, usually first. So again, it's just very trusted, very liable. Don't care what he thinks, don't care what his opinion is, but I know we'll be fair. So so it's possible to do. Um, but you know, for one of the notorious examples, um, Sally Neighbour, who um is the the outgoing boss of Four Corners, I didn't care what she thought about Eddie Maguire and that she was glad that he stood down, you know, when uh, when it all blew up at Collingwood. Um hey, if they'd done a report into him and, and that was where it was, then that would be something different. But the fact that she she was enjoying him being taken down a peg or two, which was what got her into trouble, it was just, it, you know, it was one of those indulgences which is so easy to slip in when you're on there all the time. That's it for today. There'll be another edition of the Unmade Email on Wednesday and the next edition of the Unmade Podcast will drop on Thursday with another chapter of the audio version of Tim's book, Media Unmade. And we would love to know what you thought of today's podcast at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. As always, today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. We will see you next time. Have a great week. Toodle pip. Unmade. Um,